0: Loaded score! Does he sit second then?
1: No, I don't think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. (laughs) What
2: a
0: scandal! Austin Eckler versus the Cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. (laughs) I
2: think Tom Naylor's is going to be the nailed on holder midfielder, so it's just who goes. Unbelievable!
3: He's not even realised he said it. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of Loaded Sport. We are back to usual business, reviewing and previewing the week, or the past week in sport, and also what's coming up over the next few days, including the weekend. We've got to talk about football and what happened to the Premier League last weekend, headlined by Arsenal versus Manchester United. We've also got to preview this upcoming weekend as we head into the international break. Hence, I am repping the England shirt tonight. Uh, we've also got Kempi's Combat Corner with boxing reviews and UFC, uh, UFC, in nearly said USA there, UFC previews, as well as the latest in Formula One, and of course, previewing week one of the returning NFL off the back of our season preview earlier this week. Joining me tonight, we have got a full house and three lads, I'm sure, are ready to unload their opinions and argue with each other in Kempe. I'm waiting for you, mate, to see who you're going to go after this
1: week and just exactly what for. So I'll bring you in first of all, mate. How are you this week? Yeah, someone's got to keep it interesting, mate. Controversy creates cash, and that's what we're all about here at Loaded Sport. Uh, yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. How are you?
3: Yeah, I'm all right, mate. Thank you. Um, as always, the uh, there seems to be weekly technical issues in, in getting us uh, getting us going. So, uh, but we seem to be okay now. So, I'm all right. Uh, next up, Aggie. How are you, mate? How's your week been so far?
2: Yes, mate. Very good. Thank you. I've got a uh, sound check coming up on Thursday for new jobs. So I'm looking forward to that. Providing everything goes well there, I can kick things off this weekend. Um, but yeah, otherwise, it's been uh, very good. Thank you. How's yours? Good.
3: Yeah, good, mate. Good, mate. Very good. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get stuck into a little bit more about what you're talking about at the end of the show when we uh, discuss our weekend. So, yeah, very interesting and very exciting news, hopefully coming for you. And last but again, by no means least, Sam, how are you, mate? Good mate, good mate. Um
0: bit tired. Been a long, been a long old week so far and it's only recording Wednesday night, but uh but we move and uh, yeah, ready to uh, get this episode kicked off.
3: Yeah, I know it's a psychological thing, but they're moving from Thursday to Wednesday. I feel like the week's getting a bit longer because of that. But um anyway, we'll get used to it, like you say. So as always, we are gonna kick off after the absolute disaster that was NFL version of Loyal Man. Earlier in the week, we're going to revert back to something that we should be a bit more comfortable with until Kempi doesn't know who Mario Melchiot is or decides to start naming one-man clubs or uh, or one-club men, should I say. So, uh, Sam, you're going to kick us off this week, mate. So, give us a player. I will then follow up, then Aggie, then Kemp, and let's see how we get on this week.
1: Sam, whatever you do, don't name a one-man club.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ryan Giggs. No, I'm joking. Um, uh,
3: (laughs) I will go for... Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry. And I will go with Barcelona. I'd nearly said New York Red Bulls then, but I can't do it.
2: Um, I'm going to go with Luis Suarez. Uh, Liverpool. Samuel. Rupp. Robbie Fowler. Leeds. Um, Mark Viduca. I knew you were going to say Mark Viduca. Middlesbrough. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> Shall I see if he's learnt? Mario <laughs> Melchiot.
1: I don't know who he played for. Um Fulham. No he's... Bullshit. Hey, <laughs> 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 hey. Last week you fucking kicked off at me because I didn't know who he was, right? And now you're saying that he played for Chelsea fair enough. How'd you expect me to know who he's played for? Because we told you. you. Birmingham, no, you Wigan. Didn't. We said did. his we did. name. We did. Yeah, his we, name. We, we All right, so all the things I've got to remember all week at work, and you expect me to remember where Mario Melchior yeah, you Some got to of us have got more me. important things to worry about, Adam. Well, that's, and, that's we're, we and we're off. And we're off indeed. So <laughs> let's get
3: kicked off straight into the football. And like I said earlier, the main headline from this past weekend, Arsenal hosting Manchester United in a battle for potential title contenders, if not certainly top four contenders Sam we're going to come to you first mate Arsenal eventually winning 3-1 do you think that that scoreline did justice to the game that happened on the field
0: um, it was probably a closer game, really, than the scoreline suggested. But I've got absolutely no sympathy for Man United. Um, it's yet another away performance. They come away with uh, with zero points, rolling on from the back of last season when they picked one point up against the top nine teams. They've already lost away to Tottenham this year, so it's looking like nothing's going to change on that front. So, got no sympathy for them. Just, they just seem very soft away from home. Very poor spine of the team. Uh, yeah, I've just I've not really got much sympathy for them at all after this defeat. I just think they, they played relatively well. The system kind of worked. What, the, what Eric Ten Hag were trying to do, obviously the wheels fell off over the last probably five minutes or so. Declan Rice scoring very late on, then uh, Jesus scoring even later, which were didn't really mean anything. The third goal in the grand scheme of things, but I think the damage were done by the Declan Rice goal. So yeah, soon as, as soon as United scored, they just kind of shot, shop, tried to tried to see out the game, and it obviously just blew back in the face. So yeah, I've got not much sympathy for them
3: tonight. Yeah, obviously Odegaard scoring that equaliser pretty much within what 90 seconds, two minutes of the of Rashford's opener seemed to derail their their game plan a bit. Obviously, we were talking throughout the game. I think the good things were they looked very comfortable at the back when passing around the back. It seemed to be once they got into midfield and and looking to move it into the final third that they didn't really know what to do and they ended up passing it back. So yeah, quite frustrating. Um, and and yeah the the thing that you said there about the away record under Allegri Gunnar Solskjaer, they went on a, a a record run of of away or away fixtures without losing um and it seems to have flipped they're really struggling away turning old Trafford back into a bit of a fortress two games this season two wins which let's be honest were were not convincing in any way and also finished uh, or had the rest of the season very strong at home as well following the uh the early defeats at the start of last season so yeah Definitely some work still to do, quite some, a few injuries and, you know, something that could also impact the squad, um, which we'll, we'll get into very briefly later. But, Kemp, one of the sort of big things, as I mentioned, the squad there after the game was um, Eric Ten Hag was questioned as to why Jadon Sancho hadn't made the squad, wasn't even on the bench for the fixture. And it, it, his answer basically alluded to the fact that he didn't think that Jadon Sancho was up to standard in training that week leading up to the game. Jade uh, Jaden Sancho was then quite quick in terms of responding on social media saying that he didn't want to be um he didn't want to be used as a cop out or you know an excuse or, or whatever as far as he's aware or concerned he's playing well in training he's working his absolute hardest and he will continue to do so and considering that Manchester United are getting a lot of media attention for what's happening behind the scenes and off the field as opposed to what's happening on it you know, something like this, how often do we see a player coming out so quickly to defend themselves? You know, do you think there are some issues behind the scenes that maybe we're not quite seeing or or fully aware of at Manchester United?
1: I think issues behind the scenes at Manchester United have pretty much commonplace since Alex Ferguson left, let's be honest, for that 10 year period. Um, I think since Eric Ten has come in, he started. Gaining control back at the football club. You see the situation with Cristiano Ronaldo Pogba when he came sort of through the door and um, didn't even sort of goodbye, kiss my ass or anything from Oakton uh, when when they sort of cross pass in and out. Um, yeah, I mean, again, there's a situation going on that we'll touch on very briefly later on, and that's a different scenario. But unfortunately for Jaden Sancho, you know, he's not the manager. It uh, doesn't care. It doesn't matter what he thinks of his performance. It's it's what the manager thinks of his performance. Jaden Sancho doesn't pick the team sheet. Eric Ten Hag does, and uh, I think we'll all all agree. Since Jaden Sancho came to Manchester United from Borussia Dortmund, he's been very very disappointed in the main. Um, it's 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 one of them, isn't it? Keep your mouth short, in my opinion. You, you, you're not good enough in the manager's opinion to get a start or or even be on the bench, um, and 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 that's it. And you and you accept it. And I think Eric Ten Hag now needs to put his foot down, um, needs to come out and and really um, make a statement, whether that be putting Sancho in the reserves, uh, making him train with the other 21s, or or keeping him out of the squad entirely and, and transfer listing him to get rid of him in January, because Eric Ten Hag started to get a grip on this football club now and these personalities that are coming out thinking whatever they you know they can just do and say whatever they want. And um, now he needs to prove it and, and he needs to control this Jaden Sancho situation because you know, Sancho's he's not going anywhere in the immediate you know, aftermath of what he said. So, um, yeah, I mean, the transfer window to Saudi's still open. It could ship him off there, but uh, yeah, um, he needs to get a grip of the situation and he needs to uh, to put Jaden Sancho back in his box, as I like to say, in my opinion. Yeah. The Key yeah.
0: word what you said there, Dawson, when you was reading out the
1: stories. It, it... I don't know if it, I don't know if it's same
3: yeah,
1: for everybody Sam, else, but Sam, 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 Sam disappeared Sam, for me. I Sam, can't hear Sam, Sam anymore. Sam.
3: Yeah, Sam Sam completely went and I thought that was me. Yeah. Um, I panicked I it was a little bit. Well. Sam,
1: are you there? Hello? I'm back. Yes, to Sam. back. Sam's back. There we yeah, yeah, we're back. Oh, yeah. I that was that just going to
3: say, obviously, I think the key key word
0: was him. his opinion that, he, that he's working well in training. Um, I mean, what does that stand for anything? It just seems like behind the scenes at United at the minute, it, the whole club is just on its horse. You've got, obviously, you've got and Sancho coming out saying that. Obviously, we know the stuff with... Um, with Anthony as well, there's something really sinister going on there. And then obviously with with what they've just got rid of with Mason Greenwood. It's just it just seems to be storyline after storyline we united I at mean, on these young wingers that are just coming out. There just seems to be really ill discipline then. I don't know. Like like Kem said, ever since Fergie has gone, the club just is just on its arse for me. And hopefully Ten Hag does seem to have got a bit more of a hand on it, and and hoping it's steering the wrong way, but it just doesn't seem that way. I mean, the reports on uh, on Anthony were only in I think January. The reports that so obviously Ten Hag, ten Hag was the coach then, and, and he's been Ten Ten Hag's player for years, going back to Ajax. So yeah, that, just the, the whole club at the minute does um, stink slightly. Kem, you have got something to say to that?
1: Yeah I think I think you've been a bit harsh on Eric ten there. to be fair um I think the Ronaldo situation was really really tricky for him to deal with and he dealt with it really well in my opinion um there's been a few personalities at the club that that haven't really you know, settled in well, and, and and have been real detriments to the squad. And Eric Ten Hag seems to have managed those those negative personalities, and so in some occasions managed them out of the club. I think with Anthony, it's difficult because you know, yes, it may have been reported in January initially, but I don't think you know we, we didn't hear about it then, did we? You know, it's not not been common knowledge in this country until very very recently, in the last few days. So Eric Ten Hag now needs that time, in my opinion, to respond to that and to deal with that. Um, I know the club have put out a statement, but he needs time to be able to deal with that with all the facts that he needs and. And with the, um, the situation with Sancho, again, you know, yes, it, it, it's been bubbling. Sancho's performances haven't been very good. But this situation with him coming out on social media saying, I'm not being a scapegoat, you know, that was only a few days ago. So, in my opinion, um, let's let's give Eric Ten Hag the benefit of the doubt with these two players, see how he manages them. Manage Mason Greenwood out of the club himself. I think he, Eric Ten Hag personally dealt with the Greenwood situation pretty well. The club didn't. Um, so let's see how 10 hog deals with this situation because like you say in my opinion the track record he has got dealing with difficult players I think it's been pretty good so far yeah
0: I don't know if you slightly misunderstood, misunderstood what I was saying I definitely weren't, weren't pinning the blame on 10 Hag. I was, I was just saying obviously over the last, last couple of months behind the scenes United in general it's just been really murky um, yeah I agree with that yeah and obviously, Anthony is, is supposed to be his guy. He has brought him over from Ajax for a reason. Um, mm. he's, he's getting in the team ahead of the likes of Jaden Sancho and, and Garnacho <laughs> at times. So, if he's if he's willing to install his tristan in him, it, 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 no one really can really hold their hands up and say Anthony's been brilliant since they've no. signed him. So the fact that he's mm. sticking with him,
1: it, it,
0: Anthony he needs to do do himself a favor and his coach a favor and, and pay a bit of a, a bit of that back because he's, he's yeah, not been on the great. Pitch.
1: Yeah, on the pitch, most definitely, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, and that's been my big issue with United just just the storyline after storyline coming out. You, you'd never get this in in the fair gear, really. I just I, I just think the club has really lost its identity compared to where it used to be.
3: Adam, that was quite a bit there in terms of opinions, about off the pitch, but on the field, for me personally, I, I do think it was a relatively even game. United and Arsenal both had a good sort of ten fifteen minutes where they were controlling the game, um, and United, as we know, did go uh, two one up with, what, 10 minutes left with that Garnato goal that was then overruled by offside and there's been a lot of back and forth on social media on that decision um, and and then ultimately those two late goals but do you think Eric Ten Hag deserves some sympathy for what he's dealing with on the pitch considering the fact that he ended the game with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans at, at centre-back which, let's be honest, they, they were partnering each other at Leicester, what, six, seven years ago you know, and clearly aren't at the, at the level that the other teams in, say, the top four or even the top six are so... You know, despite the off-field things and everything about the Glazers and individual players, do you think Eric Ten Hag deserves some credit for for what he's still trying to deliver and what he is delivering on the pitch?
2: Yeah, I think he's still trying to obviously deliver results. He's obviously got what's going on off the pitch in his mind, is going to have that affecting. Obviously, you've got supporters, and I know from being in a situation where you've got supporters wanting the board out, it creates a lot of animosity, and it's difficult to keep those players focused on what's going on on the pitch, especially when you are being compared in some instances of how much you've fallen from the likes of Man City and from Arsenal, who are now obviously competing at the highest level. Uh, Liverpool have been in a similar sort of situation over the last couple of years as well. So I think it's difficult for him, and I think he needs a lot of appreciation from United fans shown for what he's managed and what he's so far managed to build within that United squad. I think some players like Kemp and like like Sam have said are letting him down on the field. Um, of course, Jadon Sancho, I, I, me being a dinosaur myself, social media and getting on social media making your comments about not being chosen and saying you're not a scapegoat for me is just focus on your football. Get focused on what you're doing and get yourself back into that t- that lineup and show why whilst these players are playing bad, we sit here and talk about how Anton is playing bad. How bad must Sancho actually be in training to not be in in that lineup, or even in the question of that lineup? You know, you've got Rashford who's playing out left. You've got Anthony. You've got Fernandez. You've got Sancho. You've got some talented attacking midfielders there. And really, only Rashford, and I dare say, up to even including this year at the moment, Sancho's not. uh, Sorry, Rashford's not even performing at the level that he's been at since we saw him after the World Cup. You know, towards the back end of last season. So they've not really started this season with the. Promise and the expectations that people have gone for, and I think Sancho needs to focus on his football to get himself back onto the the uh, into the lineup instead of obviously posting what he's posting on social media. Um, but yeah, I think it's difficult when you're bringing these players in. Obviously, a lot of things are going on behind the scenes, and it's difficult to keep those players focused on what's going on on the field. I mean, yeah, Garnacho scored that goal in what the 88th minute. That doesn't get ruled out for offside, and you're looking at United three points instead of Arsenal. So that's just how close I I think they were. I don't see Arsenal coming back if that goal stood
1: and they went 2-1 down. Uh, just in the interest of balance, you've been one of the biggest crit- criticisers of VAR <laughs> in the past few weeks. Um, that was a pretty good decision for Garnaccio's, uh goal, right?
2: I've said before, VAR itself, I think there's been a lot of misunderstanding with my opinion of VAR. VAR itself isn't so much the problem, and I've said this to you before. It's the people that are running VAR that's the problem. My issue is we continue to use it despite those issues with what's going on with the personnel. Yeah, but, what, to-
1: but it's you need to be, but you need to be balanced in the sense that when it does bad things, uh, yeah, fair enough, does bad things, call it out, yeah. fair enough. You need to be balanced in the sense of that goal at the weekend. It was very, very close. Garnacho was offside by the laws of the game the 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 decision was made pretty quickly and it gave yeah. your boys Arsenal, who you've had quite a big soft spot for in the past few years, gave them an opportunity to get back into Mate. the game fairly.
2: He's offside. That's it. It's called what it needs to have done. It's the same with the Haberts penalty that was given and then VAR <laughs> rightly overruled that and gave it against him because that was Ooh. not a penalty in my opinion. Um so yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'll give VAR its credit; it's worked. I'm just okay. saying balance,
1: mate. That's this all. Ins- I'm no, just I think no. it's
2: fair to have balance. No, you're absolutely right. I'm okay sat here slating it, saying you know there's issues with VAR, with problems, with problems, with problems. But when it actually goes well, I need to sit here and say you know VAR's obviously worked well this time. So no, you're absolutely right. It's it's worked out. Yes, it's worked out in Arsenal's favour. But my point was more of how close United were to getting something out of that game. It was one-one. They scored a goal in the 88th minute and. Had that goal counted, had gone at you, you know, ran a second later, because I feel like he'd got the pace and the run on those centre-halves from Arsenal anyway in that stage of the game. Had he managed to do that, that's a different result. I don't think Arsenal are coming back mm-hmm. from 2-1 down at 88th 8, minute. So, for United, I think Ten yeah. Hag has been slightly unlucky in some instances, but I, I've got yeah. to imagine, in the manager's perspective, it's very difficult to keep your players focused on what's going on <laughs> on the pitch when so much is going on off.
1: Yeah, I mean, and again, keeping things on the pitch, I thought, to be fair... I thought they played all right. I don't think they were too bad. I think the biggest problem they had, like, like I don't know if Dawson or Sam said it, um, they, they had to bring Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire on at the end yeah. because they just didn't have the legs in that in that those defensive positions to to see out the game. Uh, and and there they are the two reasons Johnny Evans and Harry Maguire are the two reasons they lost that game. Uh, I think it was Johnny Evans' mistake for the um, for the for the Rice goal. Uh, And yeah, I don't think they covered themselves in any glory coming on at the end of the game. But what do you expect? They're not good enough. And that just shows that they do need a little bit of support in those areas when they do get injuries to older players like Baran. But like I say, I don't think they did too bad. I think on another day, if that goal's onside and Garnaccio makes his run a millisecond later, they win that game 2-1. So uh, it's it's difficult, it's harsh, but that's Premier League football. And uh, yeah, I I think Manchester United are going through a bit of a a sticky patch at the moment. But um, again, I, I still wouldn't rule them out. Me, personally, I do have a a bit of a soft spot for Ten Hag and for United as well. And obviously, I've picked them quite quite boldly as well. So, uh, yeah, hopefully they can they can pick things up for my sake and uh, as well as, you know, Manchester United fans' sakes as well.
3: Yeah, that's fair. And a quick subject, and I had it on a little bit later, so I suppose because it's been mentioned a couple of times, it is the right time. And because we are early stages, we'll not get too much into it. But, Sam, I suppose I'll come to you for this one before we move on to our next subject. But the news this week... Um, that Anthony has been dropped by the Brazilian national side going into this international break after accusations from his ex-partner about physical, um, mental and emotional abuse, including pictures and quite similar to the, the, how the sort of Mason Greenwood saga started. So he's been dropped by, um, by Brazil. Uh, no sort of confirmation or news on where he stands in, with his Manchester United place. Manchester United did release a statement earlier today saying that a police investigation was underway and they would not comment further until there was news on that. So, I mean, again, we're early stages, but in the space of, what, a month, two months, and I suppose a few months, this is the second United player now that looks like they could be in trouble and, and losing their spot in the team and potentially not playing for the club again.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> it's not a good look, is it? More so for United, I think, than anything else. Um I'm not going to go too much into it with the Anthony thing because, you know, innocent until proven guilty and all that. We didn't really touch on Greenwood until it was all said and done. So I think we should probably keep this as as brief as possible. But, yeah, just in terms of the actual club, it it couldn't have happened at a worse time, um, both on on and off the field. Obviously, if it is true, then, you know, you do feel for, for his partner as well. Obviously, you have to say that as well. But it's just yet another... Young United player that's just clearly not got the red screwed on. Think they've got the world owes them something, and just a bit of an arsehole, If it is, if, again, if if it is true, so I don't want to really want to crucify him too much until more details are are out there. But I think the fact that Brazil have instantly dropped him from their their squad doesn't not really speak greatly greatly
3: of the situation. No, definitely not. And yeah, I completely agree. I know we tried to avoid the Mason Greenwood conversation until it was official, but. This could, very similar to the Greenwood situation, be something that goes on for a few weeks and a few months. But I suppose the next thing is, after the international break, where does he stand within the Manchester United squad? But I suppose we discussed that in in a couple of weeks' time, once Manchester United have played again. But one subject that that was raised was the start to the season of Burnley under Vincent Company. They currently sit at the bottom of the table. Um, and to be honest, the, the record doesn't look good, despite the fact that, again, we are very, very early into the season. um, I know a lot of people have spoken, or certainly last season during their, their climb for promotion, about company. He he was doing great things at the club. He, he'd completely overhauled their style of play that they were famous for under Sean Dodge. Clips of his, you know, his dressing room talks at, at, at Anderlecht were going viral about how inspirational he was and things like that. And he's a champion as a player and he's won a lot. Uh, so, commands a lot of respect. and But, How quickly, we know how cynical football is, we know how cynical media is, we know how cynical fans are. Kemp, how long do you think, having sort of seen quite a bit of Burnley's rise and triumph last season with you being a Sheffield United fan and being right in and amongst it, again, we're only four games in, so very, very early doors. But if this continues, at what point are fans going to potentially turn on company and they're going to have to look elsewhere? Because we know it's going to happen at some point if this form continues.
1: If his name was Dave Smith... And he played in League Two predominantly for his career and then worked his way up through the managerial ranks. Uh, I don't think they give him along at all. I think maybe five or six weeks without a win. And I think he'd be I think he'd be gone uh, because it's Vincent Company, because he's done so well for them in the championship last season, because he's the name that he is, because he's the former Manchester City captain who led them to league title after league title and a legendary figure in the Premier League. I think they give him more time than they give a, a, just a, a general uh, Johnny from round the corner, to be honest with you. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to go well for them. I, I had the fairly unpopular opinion at the start of the season that Burnley would be right in amongst it in terms of the relegation zone. Um, a lot of people were waxing lyrical about their style of football, lovely style of football in the championship no question but you cannot get away with some of the things they were doing in the championship in the Premier League when you're a newly promoted Premier League club um, you just can't do it the Premier League's too good too big too physical too fast Um, and they found that out so far you know they've got zero points from from all the games they're down the bottom with Luton um, and uh, not Everton anymore because they've got a point off us bless them but uh, yeah they're not doing great and uh, I'll, I'll something you know, I get a lot wrong but I'll stick my hand up and say I, I feel like I called that one pretty well because Burnley we've got a very very one sort of dimensional style of football they're playing at the moment and it's nice it's tippy tappy but they're a little bit naive if they think they're going to get uh, Premier League survival just playing that one brand of football against the teams that they're going to come up against because it's brutal and uh, and they're going to struggle Aggie you've always been a fan of the
3: uh, we always say traditional but the traditional style of football four four two 2 Burnley under Sean Dice once it the perfect squad-numbered 1-11 to team and everything else like that. With a team like Burnley, they're never expected to achieve, say, Europe. The, the absolute best, I suppose, they could hope for is maybe a mid-table finish. So, is the start to the season, as they adjust to being back in the Premier League, is it harsh and should this be something that should be ignored until maybe 10, 12 games in? Or is it a case of you've got to maybe bite the bullet and pull the trigger before it's too late? Because after 10 or 12 games, they might be too far sort of behind that early in the season.
2: You say that Burnley are a side that you know we're never going to get European football under Sean Dyche. They did, and the following year under not much squad depth, they struggled and fought relegation. And then Dyche was sacked. Company, I think, although he's won the league and got them into the Premier League, I think yeah they give him another what five ten games, see where they're at, and then towards the Christmas period they look at getting rid of him, but. By doing that, they've then got to back a new manager with any finances that he needs to bring in players that you know realistically will will move to Bourne, uh, Burnley in January to keep them up, and then it's just you risk then going back into a manager merry-go-round, don't you? The similar sort of situation that we've seen Everton in, the similar situation to in the past we've seen Bournemouth and Watford, dare I say, in as well. Teams that you know sack a manager because they're struggling after getting them promoted. Me, I feel like there's no loyalty in football management anymore because a manager can move to a side, get them promoted, and then it's forgotten about the next year. So although they were phenomenal last season, they were you know, clear frontrunners of all the championship sides, they're struggling against these tougher Premier League sides, and you know, that's where they'll turn around and say, can he adapt, can he manage in the Premier League? No, let's get rid. And then you know, you're kind of panicking and rebuilding in the Premier League Against, like Kemp's already said, some very tough opposition and you need something other than a four-four-two or, you know, them similar sort of formations, you need something a bit more adventurous to be able to get yourself out of them situations against your likes of Man City, against your likes of Liverpool, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think they give them another 5-10 games and then of course they'll go from there.
1: Me personally, Adam, I think they have been a bit, a little bit too adventurous trying to play nice, neat little football when they've just been promoted for the Championship. I think they need a bit of that old, old school Burnley back in them. To be honest with you, I think they need to make it ugly. I think they make, need to make it difficult. I think Turf Moor was always a very intimidating place to go. Now you go to Turf Moor, yeah, they've got re- great, support, really, really good. But you know, there's there's the big you know, new new stuff they've got, new newfangled facilities and nice little fancy football that they play, and it's easy for teams to go there and uh, and play against them. One thing you can say against, Shef, you know, about Sheffield United is that we don't make it easy we don't play tippy-tappy football we, we try and play to our strengths and I think that's what Burnley have got to do I think they've got yeah. to try and use turf more to their advantage make it ugly make it difficult there's going to be some really horrible sort of midweek fixtures in in the evening in Burnley and it's going to be freezing cold and tough for opposition especially foreign players and I think that that intimidation factor that Burnley used to have I think that's gone um and I think that's one of the reasons to survive maybe a little bit too adventurous I mean to be honest in my opinion
2: yeah, I think that's, that's fair. That's what I meant, though, was more of the you know adaptability. They need to be able to adapt yeah, to something different yeah. than just play, obviously, what they've been playing.
3: Just a very quick question for you, Kent, but off the back of that, before we move into what's coming up over the next week. With the international break, being a fan of someone like a Sheffield United, who have obviously had a tough start themselves, but have got a point, like you said, against Everton at the weekend, a team like a Burnley, who could potentially be doing better, or could have potentially gained a win or two at this point in the season, is the international break coming at the right time? Do you think the mindset is yet? Yeah, let's have a break. We've got a couple of weeks now to reset, or is it no? We we need to be we need to be cracking on and, and trying to you know I suppose recover from this poor start.
1: Depends how Vincent Company uses it. If he uses it to look at it and think, right, reset, reset the minds, reset the bodies, let's go again and let's stick to the football that we've been playing and trust the process. I don't think it will benefit anybody. I think they'll just come back and they'll get the same results we've been getting before the break. I think if he looks at it, he looks at the tape of the, 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 you know, looks at the games back on the telly and and sees what they've been doing, the mistakes they've been making, and then changes what he's going to do in training, changes the style of football they're going to play, maybe go a little bit more direct. I think that could change things and I think it could work to their benefit and the international break will work well for them. But it depends on how Vincent company uses it and it depends if he uses it to their advantage or not.
3: That's, uh, that's absolutely fair. Sam, I'm going to come to you now as we move into what is coming up over the next few days and specifically this weekend, it is an international break, which means we have two England games between now and the next episode. and um, England play Ukraine on Saturday away, 5 p.m. kickoff. They then have a friendly at Hamden Park in Scotland facing Scotland on Tuesday evening. So only one competitive game but two games nonetheless. And just a question I want to ask you about the squad. I know we we briefly discussed the squad, but some some stats that have come out now the season has started. Uh, Calvin Phillips, as we know, was included and has played six minutes so far. Harry Maguire was included and has played 23 minutes so far. Um, Jordan Henderson has been included, as we know, has made that move to Saudi Arabia, which is not a competitive league, uh, as we've discussed before. Uh, So there are three players that are in the squad, not included. James Ward-Prowse, who currently this season has 351 minutes, a goal and three assists under his belt. Jared Bowen, 360 minutes, three goals and one assist under his belt. And Raheem Sterling, 261 minutes and two goals under his belt. So what do you think of all, well, first of all, in terms of from Southgate's perspective, picking those players over the ones that have shown they're performing? And also from a player perspective, what do you think that does where you're performing and then seeing the kind of players that are being picked ahead of you?
0: Um, I, I kind of get why the odd one hasn't been selected. Jared Bowen, I kind of get that one. Um, I think we've got that much attacking talent that have been called up. I think most of them players just looking at the squad now probably deserve a call up. Eddie Inketia might make a, an argument for him as an out-and-out striker. We do have Callum Wilson and Aaron Kane? So he probably could have um, could have had the call over him. But yeah, the, Watkins, uh, I don't know if he's in or not. No, he's not in. No, he's not in. Um, but I think James Ward-Prowse P- is a really harsh uh, harsh one. I don't know whether the uh, the fact that it was a late transfer um, has, has anything to do with it at all. Um, but, yeah, the fact that uh, Jordan Henderson is in over over him is, is a pretty poor call, but one that we've, we've learnt to expect with Gareth Southgate. Just looking again, Aaron Maguire. Did we all really expect him not to make the squad? No, I don't think we did. Uh, I think w- with, with squads like this, We've got to expect it, but I think we've got to try and take the positives out of it, which the positives are uh, Colwell's in, Guy's in, Tamour is in, um, Eze's back in. So there, there's a couple of additions there. Obviously, the youth is trying to come through, which I wish I'm more than happy about. But but yeah, there's there's always going to be them, them head-scratching calls, as long as Guy Southgate is the head
2: coach, unfortunately. I'm going to just ask you a quick question because I've had this written down after something I saw during the week and you've just mentioned Then after Skim mentioned them stats. Rio Ferdinand said during the week that to the players that have not been called up, your likes of Jared Bowen, who you said there maybe you've got an argument for not calling up, but James Ward, perhaps more in particular, to send the message by retiring from international football to prove the point that, you know, you can't overlook them. Do you think that that sends the right message?
0: No. Not at all. I think that's that's quite a weak mentality. You've got um you've got a country like England. The, the quality that we're producing right now, there's always going to be a surplus of talent at every single position, bar maybe centre back. Um, so yeah, I think to retire would be a ridiculous thing to do. Um, I get I get a grievance, and I would be unhappy too. Raheem Sterling, I don't I don't get his grievance whatsoever. He's not been fit for the last two selections. He's, he's finally come on. he's started playing half decent football. Why sh- why should he be called up just because he's started? Played decent football now. He hasn't been fit. He hasn't. He hasn't had part of this squad for a long time. So I think the Sterling one. I think it's a fair point that he's not been called up. And when he has played for England of late, he hasn't been that good anyway. So I think for Sterling not to be called up is fine. Um, again, the only one I've really got got kind of issue with is, is James Ward-Prowse and and the selection of Aaron Maguire, but and Jordan Henderson obviously. But yeah, Dawson, uh, you're going to say some of them.
3: Yeah, just off the back of Raheem Sterling, because we've spoken about players like Henderson, like Maguire, the usual suspects. Sterling is very much one of those players that is, you would assume Southgate was loyal to. Performances in the Euros, he's, he's, he was his vice captain, or, or he played as captain for quite a few games under Southgate. So, Adam, I suppose I'll come to you for this one because you know you've you've mentioned quite a bit about the squad, but. Do you think it's an interesting point that Sterling hasn't been brought up despite the fact that he has returned to a form, even though it is short-term, where other players like Maguire and Phillips and Henderson have have still managed to sustain the squad despite a lack of form?
2: I think it's laughable the fact that Sterling's been playing poorly and he's been selected for England. Then as soon as he starts playing good again, we drop him. I, I get what Sam's saying. He has been poor and therefore, on that basis, he shouldn't have been playing, but we've been calling up regardless of that. And now he's started putting in those performances and performing... It's been taken out, and let's be fair. Those performances, his goals and his assists that we've just mentioned in them statistics, have pretty much just come against Luton, who, let's be fair, are the the, the guys in the Premier League that are just everyone's going to go up against and expect to beat. So I get that one. I get the the grievances of those that are looking at Harry Maguire, Jordan Henderson, and um, that are thinking, you know, and Calvin Phillips that are thinking, you know, they've not played much. Why are they still being selected? We've got players within. In the Premier League, that are performing very, very well at the moment. Ward Prowse is one. I think Bowen's actually playing quite well, although he's not really st- throwing up the stats of assists and and and, uh, and goals. He's still playing quite well, and I'd probably have him there or thereabouts over Henderson or Phillips, maybe as an extra winger option. So, yeah, I think once again, Southgate has given us a very questionable England uh, England squad to go with into these next couple of games. And it's completely changed me from, you know, I was adamant that, you know, football's coming home and I was all aboard the hype train for that. But, you know, I hate to say it, but Kemp was absolutely right. This this bloke's not got a clue and we're not winning anything whilst he's, he's still in charge. So get these Euros out of the way, bring in Pep if that's what it calls for and, and let's go for it.
3: Yeah, and, and that was going to be my final question. And Kemp, I will come to you for this one because... If I just come to you about your opinion, it will be "I have told you so." So I'll give you a question. <laughs> so you've got a bit of meat to chew on. So uh, the something that Aggie sort of alluded to their report earlier this week that uh, Gareth Southgate is set to uh, walk away from the England squad after the Euros, regardless of uh, you know whether they win it or not, or how far they get, or how far they don't get. Um, and that one of their top priorities is Pep Guardiola. That you know, obviously, anyone would want him as a as a top candidate, but we are less than a year away from that happening and, and back towards the start of this podcast with the World Cup we were talking a lot and you were you were hyping up Graham Potter as a as a man that you thought would suit the England setup and what they needed with the caliber of player. Again, we are quite a few months away from that, but let's assume Southgate does walk away from the England job. Are there people realistically that you think are are ready to take that role and get the most out of the calibre of, of talent that we've got? Is a Graham Potter Despite his struggles at Chelsea and the fact that he isn't working at the moment, could he still step in? Are you still rating him highly? You know, where do you sit currently with the future manager of, of the English uh, national team?
1: Yeah, I think in regards to I told you so, I mean I don't I don't need to say that, do I? that has been said a long time ago. I don't need to say that anymore. Um but yeah, I think we all kind of looked at Southgate and thought no matter what happens in the Euros, he'll probably go anyway. I think a lot of us thought that he's come to the end of his tenure, and I think a lot of a lot of people have thought and I hoped that after the World Cup, um, he might depart the uh, the setup book, but it wasn't to be. Um yeah, I think it's difficult at the moment. I was all in on Graham Potter. I think my opinion has slightly shifted on the Graham Potter side of things. I think when he was at Chelsea, although Chelsea is a bloody basket case for any manager to to take over and to manage... Um, I think there were some big characters there, and I think sometimes he uh, he failed in managing those big characters and failed in managing that team. So it's difficult in that respect. Thomas Tuchel was also a name that I banded about after the World Cup. Uh, obviously, he's no longer unemployed; he's found work now. And um, I think it would be difficult to speculate in terms of who could be the next manager of England if if if, uh, if Gareth Southgate does depart, because it is ultimately we are sort of ten months away from probably the end of that competition and us seeing you know what happens and, and who's going to be available and like we said you know before managerial merry go round is a bit fucking mental so anything could happen between that time but yeah i mean the ideal the ideal scenario obviously is pep guardiola um do i think the fa would go for pep guardiola no because i think the fa love nothing more than a yes man in that position and pep guardiola ain't that uh, so it, it, they're not going to go for him they've not got the bottle to go for him i don't think um It wouldn't surprise me if the under-21 manager, Lee Carsley, was was in the the conversation for the England manager. That's what they do tend to do. They do tend to bring them through the ranks. Obviously, you've seen it with Southgate and Stuart Pearce, I think, was tipped at one point to potentially take over as he was the England under-21's manager. So I think more likely than not knowing the FA and knowing how little bottle they've got, I think Lee Carsley will probably be the one that I would say is is a a favourite in terms of who I think it would be and potentially not, not who I want it to be.
3: Yeah, I'm sure we'll all agree we'll take Serena Weigman uh, based on her success um, (laughs) in that. But yeah, it's a long time to go, but that is a report that was out this week, so I thought it was relevant. Before we close off on football, let's put our name to some predictions. Like I said, away in Ukraine, or obviously a neutral venue where we played in Poland um, on Saturday evening, and then a friendly away at Scotland at Hampden Park on tuesday evening so sam come to you first mate uh, competitive game euro qualifier against ukraine what's your prediction and then the friendly against scotland
0: i think we'll comfortably beat ukraine and i think we will draw against scotland okay do you want to put your name to some scores or 4-0 england ukraine and 1-1 in england
3: scotland Interesting. I'll tell you what, that atmosphere at Hand and pot, will be electric. So uh, that should be a good one and probably a more entertaining watch than the competitive game on, on Saturday. Uh,
1: but we will see. Kemp, 2-0 Ukraine, 4-0 Scotland? Yeah, can't can't see it going much differently, to be fair. He always does well in qualifying and friendlies, doesn't he? Bless him. Uh, but yeah, I think um, 3-1 against Ukraine. I can see them getting a goal. I think it'd be good, good for them to get a goal as well. Probably a very good feel-good moment for them. Um, Scotland, I think England will win two one. I think, like you say, there Dawson, it will be a very tasty affair. Uh, but I do think we'll get the job done in the end. And I'm not
3: sure who you'll hate more, Scotland or Gareth Southgate. And that that'll be uh, that'll be it's one close, close, <laughs> very close indeed. Aggie, give us your predictions for uh, game versus Ukraine and Scotland.
2: I think three nil against Ukraine and one nil against Scotland.
3: Uh, I'm going to go for 2-0 against Ukraine and also 2-0 against Scotland as well. It'll be interesting to see what kind of team he plays against Scotland. Will he make changes? Will he give players like Inezier, Tamore, and those kind of players that are just on the cusp and getting into the squad a chance? I'd like to see it, but I'm not holding out too much hope. But we will review those games uh, this time next week in episode 68. But it is time for the latest in Kemp's Combat Corner. Kemp, Sam, big fight this past Saturday evening in Manchester. Liam Smith against Chris Eubank Jr. in the sequel to their fight earlier this year in Newcastle. Um, it wasn't in Newcastle. We watched it while we were in Newcastle, so apologies for that. But um, In Manchester. Yeah, Manchester again, yeah. Talk us through the fight. How did it differ from the uh, from the first fight, other than the result, of course, and um, what are your thoughts for each fighter moving forward?
1: Yeah, well, thank you very much. And again, welcome back to Kempi's Combat Corner. We discuss all things combat, and this last weekend, as you say, it was the big fight back in Manchester with Liam Smith versus Chris Eubank Jr for the rematch of their fight that initially took place earlier on in the year. Bit of a fucking masterclass, if I'm honest with you. I think I came into the fight, the pre-fight prediction from myself was that Liam Smith would take the fight and that he would take it on points, and he didn't look anywhere near throughout the entire fight. I think the most he looked in the fight was in the first round, where he was doing nothing but grabbing and holding. Sam, we both watched this fight. Um, it was a uh, Uh, An interesting prospect going into the fight. You predicted Chris Dubank Jr. Yeah, And you got it absolutely spot on, mate. So, well done. Your (laughs) thoughts on the fight and Chris Dubank Jr.'s performance? It was a bloody masterclass, in my opinion.
0: Unbelievable! I backed him to win. I didn't think he'd win uh, that convincingly. um I thought the first round very cagey. He was doing a lot of grabbing, and I think we all we all watched it and thought, let's uh, let's not start that for you know let's let not let's not that be the entire fight, and it just wasn't. It was just an anomaly the first round, and then from rounds two and onwards, he just dominated from start to finish. So yeah, it were a, it were. A a fucking brilliant fight, to be fair. Um, the uppercut was always there. Liam Smith holds his guard quite tight up, and that that gap in between his guard was picking it apart every single time. The jab was outstanding, really sharp jab, kept him at distance. Uh, and yeah, and Liam Smith just couldn't seem to get right. Uh, he did. It looks like he had trouble with his ankles at some point in, in the fight, uh, which which definitely wouldn't have helped him. But yeah, I think even with with a, a fully fit Liam Smith, I, I still think it had demolished him. Um, yeah, what, what do you reckon?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely spot on. I think there are a few contributing factors, factors as to why we saw such a masterclass from Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, stopped the fight in the tenth round, I believe it was. Um, but again, dominated him pretty much after that first round had finished. And like I say, you know, we're completely in agreement. Um we all didn't want that grabbing and holding to 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 persist throughout the fight, and thankfully it didn't. Um I think Eubank Jr.'s shot selection was absolutely unbelievable. I've not seen a fighter land that many shots that they've thrown in a very, very long time. It just seemed that everything Eubank threw landed. Every single shot he threw, it seemed like it landed. Um, Liam Smith, he's, he's mentioned that there's there was issues with his ankles. He's always had issues with his ankles. And there was a replay, I think, in the first or the second round where he rolled both of his ankles, actually, it looked like, at the same time, uh, which is a, a bloody mean feat, to be fair. Well done, Liam Smith. It's, it's, I don't know how he's managed it. He did well there. Um, he did. He did. He certainly did. But he's, he's also mentioned as well about a, a pretty gruelling weight cut that he went through as well. So the fight was initially scheduled to take place earlier in the year, um, and it was delayed because uh, Liam Smith had an injury. I think it might have been a back injury. Um, but since then, um, the, the fight was rearranged and, and whatever it might be. And then on Saturday night, Smith looked really, really slow, really flat. Like we said, he did look, you know, his ankles were, were, were obviously suffering, but he, he couldn't get going from the first bell to the final bell. And, um, and you wonder why that was. And he did shed a little bit of light after the fight, saying that he cut, in the last few weeks of the fight, he cut, I think, something like three stone in weight. Crazy. And really drained himself to get down to the weight. Now, in my opinion, Sam, he he actually came up to fight Chris Eubank Jr. He's actually fought in lower weight divisions throughout his career. Liam Smith has, and he came up to fight Chris Eubank Jr. in this 160-pound um weight division. Um, and and Liam Smith had a really grueling, you know, weight loss, weight cut building up to this fight, and that was one of the reasons they said he was flat. To me. Even though you're dealing with an injury and maybe you can't train the way that you, you should have and you, and you probably could, that just reeks of unprofessionalism to me. I mean, how can you be three stone overweight before moving into this fight? It just doesn't seem like it's, it, it's right. And it seems like there's something really wrong there in Liam's mispreparation. I don't know if you you agree. Yeah, no,
0: completely agree. Um, you, you know you've got a fight coming up. You know you've got to reschedule it at some point. You've you've already pulled out once, so you you kind of you should kind of feel like you owe the other guy won if if they're pull, pulling the fight because of you, obviously. Chris Eubank Jr. is trained for a specific date. That date's not been made; is pushed back. So, you know, at least you can do is make sure you're in shape for the next one. Um, to be fair, he has done that, but yeah, it sounds like he's massively cost himself and just hasn't really judged his, his cut very well. And, and to lose about three or four stone over such a short amount of time is is it's definitely not going to be any good for anybody. So, yeah, it's mm. it's really poor preparation on his part to get to get that heavy uh, when, like you say, when he's, when he's normally have to come up or wait to fight this this, this level. It must have seriously banged some timber on and uh, been shoveling some shit in his mouth to be fair
1: yeah yeah definitely and again you know I get there's an injury and you you are limited in what you can train but then you know the focus surely has to go on the diet if you can't move around as much and you can't get as much exercise up and you can't burn as many calories surely then you've really got to watch yourself in terms of your diet to make sure you don't balloon up in weight I mean you look at you know, MMA fighter, UFC fighter, Paddy the Baddy pimbler, you know, blows up massively between <laughs> fights, and and it affects weight cuts really badly, and it's really, really not good for you. And, and at Liam Smith's age, you know, he's who's thirty-five, he's not young for 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 a boxer at uh, that weight class. Um, I really do hope that if he does fight again, um, it's 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 with better preparation. But moving on to Chris, you Junior's performance, as we mentioned before, um, he, he he joined up with Bell Mack Terence Crawford's trainer um, for this fight. Um, and, uh, and, and obviously that unbelievable performance, he, he put it out there and, and, and the punch percentage, like I say, he must have been extremely, extremely high. Landing uppercuts at will, like you mentioned there, Sam. Landing every, pretty much every shot that he, uh, he wanted to land on the night. Um, and it was a masterclass of performance from Chris Eubank Jr. And it really, really whets the appetite, in my opinion, for that kind of fight, for a Kelbrook fight, for a fight against you know Gennady Golovkin, um, and and for these big money fights because that's what Chris Eubank Jr. wants, I'm sure of it. Um, but yeah, the Conor Ben fight for me doesn't seem that appealing until Conor Ben's cleared his name with with Warder or whoever he needs to clear his name with. It. He still hasn't proved his innocence from that from that positive drug test. Well, those two positive drug tests on the build-up to the first Chris Eubank Jr. fight. But if he can do that, I'm really interested in seeing that as a fight because at the minute, after that performance, I think Chris Eubach Jr. really, really is a red-hot favourite going into that fight. A couple of other fights on the card that I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, Dave Allen, uh, the white rhino, uh, fought against Fraser Clark in the heavyweight division, um, which was a bit of an ugly, sort of a slug, not, a slug, not even a slug fest, really. I think it was just a... An ugly fight, to be honest. I think uh, they they didn't cover themselves in glory, either Frasier Clark or Dave uh, Dave Allen. Um, And and I think it was a a pretty unappealing fight to watch. The the fight was ended. It was retired um, at the end. uh, And uh, in the eighth round, I think it was. uh, And Dave Allen really didn't put up a, a great performance there. I think he had a perforated eardrum. So hopefully Dave Allen recovers from that pretty well. Um, we also had a few other decent fights on the card. And I think it was a, a pretty decent card for Boxer. They've had a few issues in the past few weeks and months with their, with their fights and their cards falling out. And, um, yeah, I, I think it was uh, a, a decent night overall at Manchester Arena, culminating, again, in a huge, huge win for Chris Eubank Jr. to hopefully take him back to the, uh, the big fights uh, that he wants in his future. So, Sam, I briefly touched on it there. Um, but the main event, as as we said it was, it was Liam Smith versus Chris Eubank Jr. Chris Eubank Jr. coming out with a win, the stoppage in the tenth round. Um, what's next for Chris Eubank Jr.? Who do you think he'll fight and who would you like to see him fight? It might be the same answer for both. Yeah, I mean, he called out Golovkin
0: at the uh, at the end of the fight, which which would be a decent little fight. I know Golovkin's past his best now. I I wasn't quite aware of that. To be fair, I've not watched many of his latest fights, and and I thought, why is he doing that? But obviously, you you did say that he has dropped off massively in his in his age. So is I think it's about forty one now. But yeah, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see uh, Chris Eubank go for a belt, of course. I would. Um, other fights around the division, I, I think that's probably the most most suited one for him. You, you're looking at the the, uh, the Conor Ben one and. I think personally for what Eubank will have to do for the Conor-Ben fight I think he will he could well end up doing something similar to what uh, Liam Smith did against him coming down at such a weight class I think his his old man called it uh, attempted murder trying to get him down to um, down to his down to his weight it's, it's, it's such a lower division than him so yeah I, the Conor-Ben fight is obviously going to sell it's, it's something that we I think we all do deep down really want to see but uh, yeah I, I don't think in a in grand scheme of things in regards to belts that's really where he should be going so I think at his stage in his career was he 34-35 now Eubank, he wants to be starting to look for a title challenge and I think Golovkin would probably be the perfect one for him to go and get a crack at a belt
1: yeah I definitely agree uh, if that's what he wants but you know if if there's loads and loads of money there for a Conor ben fight that he really thinks he's going to win you know, where do you go? I suppose it is prize fighting at the end of the day as well. But no, you are absolutely right. For me, I do think that he will fight Conor Ben next. I think they'll find a way to make it happen. Um, but I also think he should fight um, Gennady Golovkin. I agree. It uh, really hasn't looked the old Gennady Golovkin, and you're not going at 40 years of age, are you? Let's be Let's be honest. Um, and I think after that performance at the weekend, I think it it really is um, something that he could he could potentially do. Something that might be a sticking point for him, though, Sam. and I'm not going to cover this too much because it is a legal case and we don't want to kind of get into hearsay and and then she said, she said, and she said, he said, sorry, and, and who's done what. But Beau Mack, Brian McIntyre um, was actually uh, arrested on his way back to the US um, after the fight. I think it was on Sunday or Monday um, for, for carrying a firearm uh, in the UK, which obviously is illegal, and we're all thankful in the UK for that. If there's any Americans listen, you're fucking stupid for letting random people have guns. But that's a different topic for a different podcast, I suppose. But Bromack did get caught with a firearm. It's illegal in this in the UK, and, and again, thankfully so. And and it looks like he's been remanded in custody, awaiting charges for that. Sam. So if Bromack does, you know, face the the full justice of of the you know of the law, and he does see sort prison time for this, which could happen. You know, he shouldn't laugh, but it could happen. Where does that leave Chris Eubank Jr. and Terence Crawford? Because, you know, they're both so, and other fighters as well in that stable, because they're both so, you know, showed such improvements from that, from working with Beaumont, or or Chris Eubank did anyway. Um, That's going to be a real detriment going into another fight, is it not? Oh
0: god, it'd be massive, massive. You, you, we both said you, you could you see the the Crawford effect on, on him on on the fight. The jab was lethal at time, like whenever he wanted it, it was there. Um, just no matter what he doing, bringing a gun into the UK, it's just pure. Pure hood right in it it's like you, you, you just can't you can't take them out of the hood can you it's it just it, they're making all that money at this top end of a sport and it's, it's it beggars belief it really doesn't and, and you know what they probably should see time for it to be fair because if it were just a random person on the street, they would so just because he's rich shouldn't really excuse him for it, but it's it's disaster for um it's disaster for. Chris about Jr., of course it is. I, I wouldn't have a clue, to be honest, where he'd where turn to. Definitely wouldn't go back to uh, Roy Jones. Um, I think the Liam Smith first f- one, Liam Smith one, was just wrong for him. His style was all, all over the place, caught between two styles, as they say. Um, he even kept trying to mirror him at some point, where he was dropping his guard, letting him like taunting him, and, and it just it weren't really working. So, yeah, whatever Bo Mack has done behind the scenes, is worked wonders with him. And it would be a crying shame for Chris Eubanks Jr. more than anyone if he was to, if he was to see time. Mm.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely spot on. If it was somebody else, they would they would be in, in bother for it. And it looks like it will be as well. But I mean, come on, you know, why is he why is he even doing it in the first place? Beggars belief, like you say, as to why it's even happened. But I'm sure we will see what happens there with the uh, with the benefit of time. Um moving on from boxing to uh, to the UFC, a big time UFC event is back, and it's back down under in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. The Aussies are getting a big UFC card this weekend. Um, and he's stacked to the kills with with some really really entertaining fights the three that kind of spring to mind uh, more than any others i say is Justin Taffer against Austin Lane Justin Taffer is a is a big old guy a big old uh, uh, bloke who uh, who loves getting in a stra- scrap from new zealand uh, a typical kiwi um, and if he lined up for the all blacks you, you probably wouldn't uh, you would probably wouldn't think he was out of place he's uh, he's a big old boy um, and uh, he loves getting in scraps, which is why it's going to be really interesting when he fights Austin Lane this weekend down under. And I'm sure Justin Taffer is looking to put himself uh, in lights in the heavyweight division um, and get himself a real big, big fight to uh, to hopefully move his way up the rankings. Another very, very interesting and entertaining heavyweight. Another guy who uh, who hails from down under, from New South Wales in in Australia. Um, and another guy who, like I say, if he lined up for the Australian rugby team in this instance... You really wouldn't think he was out of place. Tie, Bam Bam Tuivasa. The shoeies will be on uh, on on show, uh, and I'm sure on uh, on Saturday night, if he gets a win, I'll be pouring a drink into a shoe, and I'll be pouring it down my neck as I often do. And Ty Tuivasa fights. It's a shoeie day, and hopefully it'll be a win when he fights against Alexander Volkov, a really really well well seasoned and good heavyweight. Seems to be a bit of a gatekeeper for the upper echelons of that division um, and Tatu against Alexander Volkov will be a very, very interesting fight indeed. Possibly the most interesting fight, however, of the night, and as it should be in, uh, in this instance, is the middleweight champion of the world, Israel Adesanya, against Sean Strickland for the UFC middleweight championship of the world, the undisputed UFC middleweight championship of the world. This is going to be really, really weird. Um, not because of the fight and the styles. I think Sean Strickland is a very, in 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 some instances, one-dimensional fighter. He's got a few decent wins on his record. But when he fought against another really good striker in Alex Pereira, uh, he got his lights shut out pretty easily. And, and I can't see that being any different. The difference that I can see uh, is the build-up to the fight. It's going to be very, very interesting. I've not seen anything just yet, as we record on Wednesday of Fight Week. Um, but Israel Adesanya is a very... New school type of guy, loves his anime, uh, loves his TikTok, loves his video games. You know, he's a real modern young guy uh, and he's he's kind of a, a modern man, a millennial, uh, as, as it were. Sean Strickland is a little bit different than that. He, uh, he, he he lives in, I think the last time I saw the accommodation that he lived in, it was pretty much you could describe it as like a hut or a shed. He's, he's a bit of a strange guy. He's a, he's a, a gun in all-American um, and he's very unapologetic for it. Uh he says some very, very controversial things. A lot of his interviews on Fight Week that he's done so far have been cancelled. They've not even been put out there in the media because he says, again, very, very controversial things. And uh yeah, he's got a a, a, a pretty interesting past. Um and is if if you if you want to know a little bit more about that, he's done a few decent interviews, one with Joe Rogan, which is a pretty pretty decent tell-all. Um, but yeah, he admits himself he's pretty fucked up uh, and, and I can't disagree with Sean Strickland there. So it's going to be a very interesting pre-fight press conference. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what they're saying, how they deal with each other. They had a bit of an interaction last time when Sean Strickland was fighting against uh, Alex Pereira, like I said, and Israel Adesanya was on the same card. Uh, but But they are going to be going at it. My prediction for the fight. Is uh, Israel Adesanya will win the fight very comfortably and I think he actually will finish Sean Strickland in the second round uh, by a TKO. Uh, again, Sean Strickland came out in a in a pre-fight interview and said, maybe I should wrestle, probably should wrestle, but nah, I don't want to wrestle. And, uh, and when you're taking on a, an elite kickboxer like Israel Adesanya not wrestling is a very, very bad idea and that's pretty much the only path to victory against Israel Adesanya. So, you know, I don't think it's going to go well for him. But for me, again, Israel Adesanya will get the win. He will be the reigning, defending, undisputed um, middleweight champion of the world when all is said and done after Saturday night. And then I'm sure we will see how the middleweight picture advances in the next few weeks uh, and months Um, and and potentially Israel Adesanya's original opponent, Adrikas Duplessis, um, the South African himself may t- step in and, uh, and fight for Adesanya for that middleweight crown. So it's going to be very interesting to see where things go from here. That wraps up this week's edition of Kempi's Combat Corner. Some fantastic fights this last weekend, some fantastic fights coming up this week, and we're all about it here on Kempi's Combat Corner.
3: Yes, we are, mate. And just because we've had some big fights doesn't mean they're all done. Plenty to be talking about over the next few months going into the back end of 2023. Aggie, it's time to bring you in, mate. Formula One, one of the most prestigious races and historic races on the Formula One calendar in Italy, the Monza Grand Prix. Talk us through what happened as Max Verstappen set a new record for most race victories in a row with 10.
2: Yeah, so for those that aren't aware, based on what you've just said, Max Verstappen won again with uh, breaking the record that was previously set by a Red Bull driver known as Sebastian Vettel. So yes, uh, the good news is Max Verstappen did not get pole position, which means the Ferraris may just have proved themselves back within a shout. Carlos Sainz, of course, taking taken uh, the front row of the grid at the very front in first place. However, things didn't seem to go his way, and just one stop was enough for Red Bull to get yet another One, two, as Max Verstappen finished on the top step of the podium, followed by Sergio Perez, which again continues with Red Bull have won every race this season. And we said that after the, you know, after the summer break, maybe you'd start to see a little bit of a decline from Red Bull. If not, you'd see the improvement from other cars from other teams. We saw a little bit of McLaren before uh, the summer break. They seem to have dropped off a little bit as well. Now Mercedes is starting to pick up. Ferrari is starting to get back involved, but still, Nobody can get close to those red balls. So, Skin, I'm going to ask you exactly where you think that's come from. Because a lot of people are saying it's down to you know they they breached the the budget. It was released, I think, about an hour or two ago at the time of recording. That nobody over the last year had actually breached the financials. So that's a step in the right direction, absolutely.
3: Yeah, definitely. And if if that is the case, and everything and everyone has, or everything's been done within the rules, and everyone's worked within the rules, then you can't do anything but give full credit to the engineering team and the, and the people that are working behind the scenes. I know Max is getting all the credit, um, rightfully so. He, look, he's, with all the great drivers over the years, all the dominant championships over the years, he's the one that's now set the record with ten race wins in a in a row. However, he's the one driving it. But we, as we know, there's a hell of a lot of work that goes on to get that car on the track and also make it as dominant as it's been. So yeah, completely agreed. Great news. I've not seen the report myself, but. You know, at the start of the season where we were seeing things like Red Bull had gone over and they'd spent X amount more, X percent more than what they should have done. That's definitely a step in the right direction. Like you say, with Ferrari's performance in qualifying, naturally the cars are set up to perform differently in qualifying than they are to a, anywhere from a 50 to a 70 lap race, depending on the track. But yeah, some hope potentially for the rest of the season. And, you know, as they continue to, as the FIA continue to bring rules in to try and make the the, the races as sort of competitive as possible, Hopefully, with the level of drivers that we've got and with the gap in class of cars starting to close up a little bit, it seems that that could make for some interesting and exciting races towards the end of the season and certainly an an even more exciting championship race uh, next season as well.
2: Yeah, the Red Bulls, like we said, got top two steps, then Ferraris third and fourth, which we know we say, oh, it's Ferrari, you expect them to be towards the front, but to be third and fourth together that's a huge improvement from where they've been so far this season. then of course it followed the two Mercedes, the McLarens, despite getting those couple of podium finishes, we started talking, Sam even got involved saying, you know, Lando now is back on the podium. It's great. But now an eighth place and a 12th place. Is that really what McLaren saw when they did those upgrades and started to see those improvements? Absolutely not. So it's a case now of other teams have, have seen their own improvements over the summer break. Maybe McLaren have stayed dormant after that one little improvement package that they had, but it looks pretty much done that everyone's now going to be working on next season's car because it's almost a foregone conclusion. I think we'll be, what, four, five, maybe even six races before the end of the season and Max is crown champion. It's getting a little bit silly now, and I'm sure you're absolutely fine with it as a Red Bull fan. That's natural. You're going to be happy to see both the Constructors and the Drivers' Championship remaining with Red Bull. But from the outsiders looking in, you know, as a McLaren fan, you know, we just want to see improvement at the moment. And after, it's like one step forward, two steps back. The last couple of races since this summer break, we've not really been existent you know we had a good of couple of practice sessions but we know practice sessions aren't really anything to judge your car on the drivers and the you know the uh those constructors know more about all that sort of stuff but for us as as viewers you can't really look at it and think oh we finished top in p1 you know that's huge it's not it, it's practice and you know that when it comes to qualifying and when it comes to the races it's a completely different situation isn't it that the red bulls just turn it up a gear and, and do what they do best but It's important at the moment that we are starting to see other cars get on pole position. Max Verstappen hasn't dominated qualifying sessions like he has races. I don't know whether that's to keep things interesting for himself or whether it's just a case of, you know, other strategies are working better for other teams. So it's interesting to see what direction it goes in in preparation for next season. Yes, this season in races, it might just seem a little bit boring that you're just watching Max drive around the track and win, you know, unanimously. But... In general, I'm excited to see where these teams are going to really pick things up, ready for next season, to try and compete a little bit more with Red Bull. You know, they've had that that sanction they've had for breaching the financial rules. We've not really seen too many differences. They're still the elite of the elite. That They're still flying ahead. And I expect that to continue maybe into next season as well. Lewis Hamilton, of course, signed a new contract. George Russell, the same. So Mercedes know that they've got them same two drivers for next season. So now... When you've got your driver line set, you can start to prepare for that car a little bit better, prepare with them, ready for what they need for next season. So hopefully that's something we'll start to see from Mercedes. I don't like Lewis Hamilton, but if Mercedes are going to compete with Red Bull, it's going to make the races more interesting. You know, I'm all for that. And hopefully we'll start to see McLaren pick things up a little bit before it gets too late and we lose Lando Norris.
3: Yeah, we'll see.
2: But uh, you mentioned there about the, the difference in qualifying and that
3: side being more competitive. The next race in, is in a couple of weeks' time. It's your favourite race in the calendar, the Singapore Grand Prix. And with it being a street race, we know how limited the overtaking opportunities are. So that qualifying session should be even more interesting as teams will no doubt go all out to make sure that they get a good starting position with that limited opportunity to overtake. So, yeah, we'll be back next week to uh, to preview that with no race this upcoming weekend. But, yeah, definitely. May, I, I know we say that it's the hope that kills you, but... Maybe there is a sign of more competitive times ahead, which is what we want. I know you said I'm happy. I've got to be happy that Max is winning and dominating. But ultimately, as an F1 fan, as an F1 viewer, I'm not watching the races at the moment because it's a foregone conclusion. Yes, a battle for a podium spot might be exciting, but it's not really what you want. Uh, nobody really tends to care about the race for second place. They care about the race to the top. Uh, you know, And that's what, that's what I want to see. So hopefully we, we see a little bit more of that in the future.
2: On the back of what you've just said there, that's absolutely right. You know, I used to sit there and watch the Formula One. I remember telling you not long before the summer break that, you know, it's the most excited I've been for a race. You know, Lando was second, Piastri was third. And maybe that's a little bit biased because of McLaren and it was the excitement of what we could do, you know. But Signs got pole position. It was a Ferrari on the front row. And this week I sat down and I think it was Crystal Palace that was the early game, wasn't it? Was it Crystal Palace? I watched Crystal Palace play. Instead of watching the Formula One, yes, I watched Arsenal, Man United, but I think I was always going to be doing that. But I watched the football instead of the Formula One. And when the games don't seem that interesting, I tend to watch the Formula One, if that makes sense. But this week it was just gone. It wasn't even in the interest.
3: No, that's uh, that's absolutely fair. But yeah, like I said, we'll be back next week to preview the single Singapore Grand Prix. Hopefully, that qualifying session will make for some exciting viewing. So, last sport. Of the night. It is the spot that we covered earlier this week in our season preview. It is the return of the National Football League as we head into week one. What a time of year, lads. I'm sure we'll get deeper into it later or at the end of the show when we're talking about our weekends. But that first Sunday evening, six o'clock, getting the feet up, getting the takeaways in, or getting the food in, whatever it might be, ready for seven hours of commercial free football or watching a live game. But uh, just very quickly, Sam, I'll come to you for this one, mate. News that came out, breaking news at the start of recording. Nick Bosa has signed a new five-year $170 million extension with the San Francisco 49ers. That works out at $34 million per year, which makes him the highest-paid NFL defensive player of all time. Considering the amount of money that San Francisco are paying at certain school positions, they've got a huge chunk of their cap Go into a a small group of players. Is it the right move? Should they have paid him? Should they have paid him how much they have? Or do you think they're going to end up struggling in the next couple of years with the amount of cash they've got, like I said, in that small group of players?
0: I think it's the right decision for them. Um, I think there was a a couple of rumours flying about today that there could well be a season standoff, which wouldn't have been good for anyone. Um, I think... There was also reports that twenty eight of the thirty two franchises were willing to pay him the money he wanted, so there was a market for him. So his his agent obviously knew that, uh, and yeah, I think I think he's got what he's deserved. Um, three years removed from his ACL, he showed no deterioration since then. He's, I think he's missed one game in the last three years. So yeah, for me, he is probably the best defensive player in the NFL right now maybe a couple of others, TJ Watt, Aaron Donald, Donald's dropped off a little bit over the last year or so. But yeah, for me, if fully deserved. Um, San Fran, that's what they're all about, defence. And then the, the, the times over the last five years, that offence has been practically non-existent with the quarterback changes they've had. And that defence just kept them in games and, and got them into the playoff time and time again. So for me, prioritise defence if you San Fran and the offence should, uh, should just follow suit for them. Right decision for me.
3: Yeah, I have to agree. Phenomenal defensive player, but like I said, I'm San Francisco probably have one of the deepest squads in terms of quality. But it is going to be interesting over the next maybe two or three years when contracts start to run out and or they're they're using a lot of their cap. They could, let's be fair, be in a similarish position to what the Rams are found themselves in now. It looks like they're they're starting to approach an all in um kind of mentality and um, look we can sit here and we can discuss every single day game we can predict every single game but we don't do that about football with football for time and reasons so i don't think we should do the same but week one is started off it's bookended by lions at chiefs on thursday night football and then ends with bills at jets on monday night football two phenomenal fixtures and two potentially high scoring fixtures to start off the season, So I'm going to come round the room very quickly and Kemp, will come to you first mate. Lions at Chiefs in the season opener. Who have you got winning? Have you got a gap in the score? And then that Monday night football that closes off week one. Where do you see your, uh, where do you see the, oh, who do you see, sorry, taking home the win?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's pretty safe to say that the Chiefs are going to beat the Lions, I think, but I think it's going to be closer than people potentially think uh i think chiefs win by 3 uh but i think they will have to come back into that game i think they will be down and i think it'll have to be a bit of bit of patrick mahomes clutch um to to get them back uh, in the win column after week 1 but the Lions are not going to be any uh, they're not going to be a pushover so it's going to be a tough game and a close game but the chiefs by 3 on that one um in terms of the bills and the jets again i, I, I and i know sam's been watching the the preseason the hard knocks uh, footage of the jets and uh, they look pretty good but they look pretty shaky in some positions as well. Their O-line, as, as Sam's, I think, mentioned on the podcast uh, during our NFL special, uh, looked pretty shaky. Um, and if the Bills can get after that, then who knows what's going to happen. If they can get Rogers down for a couple of sacks, he could potentially lose his head and, uh, and, and they might struggle. So I'm going to go Bills by seven. I think the Bills are going to win that one. And uh, yeah, I think the Chiefs will win a very close opener.
3: Interesting. I'll go next with that uh, Thursday night football Lions at Chiefs. I think it'll be a great game on paper. It suggests a shootout and I am expecting at least 60 points in that game, which should make for great viewing Friday morning when we wake up and, and stick the highlights on. I do think Chiefs win, uh, as as we discussed earlier in the week. I've got Lions winning the NFC North. I've got them reaching a championship game as my bold prediction. But again, at this point, you can't go against the Chiefs. But I do think the Lions make a very, very, very good account of themselves and make a bit of a statement as to what the 2023 season looks like for them. Bills and Jets, to be honest, I'm really struggling to call. Jets have got the home advantage. Rodgers' first proper game as a, a New York Jet quarterback. Bills have got that core squad that they've had for a few years now and been quite successful with. I'm really, really struggling to, to pick a winner for that. I do have the Jets winning the AFC East, but I think on this occasion, this early in the season, I think Bills win by a touchdown, and I think that closes off. And again, Should be, Tuesday morning, another great game to load up on YouTube and and watch the highlights for. Um, But yeah, two great games to to start and close the the week one. Adam, what about you, mate? Lions at Chiefs, Bills at Jets. Who have you got winning and taking home the victories?
2: I agree that it's going to be very close between the Lions and the Chiefs, but I'm going to tip the scale in the opposite direction to you guys, and I'm going to go with the Lions to beat the Chiefs. The reason for this is, yeah, we all spoke about what can Patrick Mahomes do without uh, Tyreek Hill? He went on and won a Super Bowl. What I'm trying to think of now is getting my head, where's his targets going to be? The wide receivers aren't reliable enough, and I'm going on the back of the potential that Travis Kelsey is going to miss this game. Without Kelsey, I think the Chiefs are really going to struggle. Mahomes will still be able to do his magic, but I think the Lions will have enough to see it over the line. So I'm going to follow Kemp's prediction of uh, three points being the difference. but I'm going to go with the Lions to beat the Chiefs by the three points. Um as for the Bills against the Jets, I think that's going to be another close game. Uh, we've heard a lot. And I know Sam mentioned in the preview about the fact that, you know, the Jets O-line really is struggling. And I think if they can break through that O-line, Rodgers is going to be running for his life a lot. And I think that's going to really be the difference maker. I am going to go with the Bills to win that. Um, I think they're also going to win by three. I think there's going to be two very close games either side of uh, of the weekend.
3: Well, that's fair, mate. Sam, what about you, mate? Obviously, Lions in your division, uh, Bills and Jets is the first game seeing Aaron Rodgers in a difference jersey that's not the Green Bay Packers. So a bit of an investment for each of those games for you. Where do you see them going?
0: Yeah, you know what? I'm in uh, in agreement with Aggie. Um, I'm going to back the Lions to beat the Chiefs uh, for pretty much exactly the same reason. I think if, if it all kind of hangs up on whether Travis Kelsey is going to be suited and booted and if he's not, I think Mahomes is in trouble. Um, I don't think he's really had that, that thing in Kansas City so far, where he's about to carry a supporting cast, has always had a guy, whether it be Tyreek Kill, whether it be Kelsey. And I think it, with, with them receivers removed, you're looking around, he's got to rely on the likes of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, obviously, Nicole Hardman has moved on to the Jets as well, so his, his receiving options aren't great. He's got, I think, Kadarius Tony, which he's obviously going to hope he's going to have some kind of breakout year with them. So, yeah, for me, I will be backing the... Um, the Lions in that one to win by one point. I think it'll be a very close game. I think you could well be right there with it being a bit of a shootout. And I think the Lions are just going to pip it in the end. And in regards to the final game of week one, I am also going to back the Bills to win that one. I always kind of gauge a football football game with how the... the, um, how it's fought in the trenches. I think the the O-line and the D-line, Bills have got one of the best defensive lines in all of football, no matter who they're playing. They're playing against a team with a pretty bad O-line, a really bad O-line, really, and a not-so-mobile quarterback anymore. And I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think it could be a bit of a damp squib for Jets. They're going to be a full, packed-out MetLife Stadium, everyone, for the coming of Aaron Rodgers, and I think they might lay a bit of an egg at home against the Bills. So I'm
3: going to go for the Bills by 10. Interesting and Sam I'm going to stick with you for this one because we, it would be remiss if we didn't very quickly cover cover our, our thoughts for our teams in week one, we'll again probably not do it every single week but again it is the season opener but uh, none of our teams playing in that six o'clock window so I'm assuming that we'll all have our feet up ready for red zone but 25 past nine Green Bay Packers at Chicago Bears, the oldest fixture in the National Football League if I am correct on that. I know there's been a bit Correct. of back and forth today between you and Tina with potential injuries to um, to the wide receiver room in Green Bay and, and other things like that. So going to Soldier Field, where do you stand? Love's first competitive game as the number one quarterback at, in Green Bay. Are you confident? Are you expecting a win or do you think with the progress the Bears have made, this will be an, an 0-1 start for the Packers?
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to edge towards the Bears winning this one. I do, I do fancy the Bears here. Um, a lot of it does does hinge on our health of our wide receivers. Obviously, Romeo Dubs and Christian Watson, both on the injury report, both questionable for the game, which would be an absolute disaster. It means that our number one receiver will be the rookley, rook, rookie, rookie Jaden Reed. Um, which uh, to never have taken a natural NFL snap before being the number one receiver is just not a good thing this is why I've been harping on about a veteran presence we needed in that receiver room and it was looking like it's coming back to bite us in week one so all depends on the, the fitness of our two receivers uh, but yeah I've obviously I've backed Bears quite heavily in my, uh, my, my pre-season prediction so I expect Bears to take care of business week one against the Packers um, I think Jordan Love will have some flashes but I think again if them re- receivers aren't there he's going to have a whole lot of work to do on his own and he's going to have
3: a lot of relying on Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon to to move the rock on the ground. That's fair. Nagy, I'll come to you next, mate. Also, 9.25, the LA Rams travel to Seattle to take on your Seahawks. You were very confident in our preview show about what Seahawks could deliver this season, and and I'm certainly of the opinion, as a lot of other people are, that Rams aren't in a great place. For you, is this pretty much the, the most comfortable
2: week one fixture that you could have got? Um, yeah, I think it's close between this and playing the cards at home that would have been a nice little start for us. I think this has only been made easier by the fact that the news has been released at the time of recording not too long ago that Cooper Cup looks likely to miss this game if not going to the IR. So it's huge for us that he's going to be out. Um, they've obviously lost a lot, haven't they? I mean, let's be fair, Wagner's come back to us since their Super Bowl win. They've not really done too much. Ramsey, I think, has just recently moved on. Like Sam's already said, Donald seems to have maybe slowed down a little bit, and that's obviously good for our O-line as well. Um, on the offensive side of things, you know, they've not really got too much other than Cooper Cup. Let's be fair, Stafford can't really work his magic. So it is going to be a nice little win for us, hopefully. Um, on paper, I only see one side win this. The injury report isn't up, but other than Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jamal Adams, I don't think we have too much to worry about in terms of uh, starters. And Jigba's only a third choice wide receiver at the moment, of course, isn't he using in? So, yeah, I think it'll be a nice little comfortable win for us and um, hopefully by two scores.
3: Yeah, uh, got to be confident, I think, especially like you say with the news that Cup is out. Also at nine twenty-five, lads, I don't think this will happen much. Uh, oh no, sorry. Uh, yeah. Ignore me. Also at nine twenty-five. Uh, there are four games this weekend at nine twenty-five. I'm sure one or two are usually at nine oh five. So I don't know if there's been a bit of a change to the schedule or it's yet to be updated. But uh, Philadelphia Eagles, the last year's runners up, traveled to Gillette Stadium to take on my New England Patriots. And to be honest, I'm struggling. I know a lot of people will lean towards the Eagles, for obvious reasons, but I do think it will be quite a, a really tough game. If Eagles are going to come and take a win, Patriots are going to make it very hard. Um, and I actually see the Eagles only winning by three. I really think it will be a very, very close game, despite a lot of people favouriting the Eagles. Again, for, for very obvious reasons, but I think Patriots have gone quite under the radar with the squad that they've built and the draft picks that they've had this, this off-season. So, I do think then they will give Eagles a very, very good game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a close game. I'm not expecting it to be exciting in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but Eagles will just about show off their quality and, and get the results. So, yeah, Eagles by three. Um, Kemp, you mentioned in the preview show that uh, you'd booked Monday off. That is because uh, 1 20 a.m. is when the kickoff will be taken as Dallas Cowboys travel to the MetLife as DJ hopes to carry the New York Giants through to victory. Dallas Cowboys are by no means a poor side. They've got a great defence, and when Dak is fit, they've shown statistically that they are very strong offensively as well. It's a division game, it's big, and it will set the tone for the rest of the season. What are the Giants doing in week one?
1: Uh, unfortunately, mate, in my opinion, they're losing. Uh, Dallas Cowboys really are a, a bogey team for us. They're our biggest rivals and the, 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 yeah, we hate playing against them. Uh, four of the last four we've lost and 11 out of the last 12, I believe, we've lost against the Dallas Cowboys. Um, I think we'll have a decent season, as I mentioned in our NFL season preview. Uh, but I think, yeah, Dak will pretty much control the ball throughout most of the night uh, in MetLife. Uh, and I think the Dallas Cowboys will walk out with victory. But... I still think it'll be a very entertaining game. I think it'll be a close-scoring game, uh, and I think the Giants will do all they can to to make it difficult for uh, for Jerry Jones's Cowboys to go back to Dallas, Texas with that win. But unfortunately, I think that's exactly what they'll do.
3: That's absolutely fair, mate. And I don't think too many people will disagree. One question I do want to ask you, because we didn't cover it in the preview show. How many carries do you think DJ, very well known as being a, a running quarterback and being very strong? How many carries will he have before he trips up over his own feet?
1: Mm, I think if he gets a couple of carries out of the way before he falls flat on his face, uh, I think we're doing pretty well. And there's obviously progression there for a, for a young quarterback, which is uh, which is all we're looking for uh, in a young quarterback. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed we get one or two before he goes arse over to it again, mate. Hey, eh? that's fair. I think
3: he's been at here for about uh, in the league for about four years now. Is he still a young quarterback, or yeah, is he approaching veteran station now?
1: A veteran? I'm not quite v- sure about that. Veteran status, but. yeah. I'm not quite sure about that. Yeah, listen, we need to see. In all seriousness, we do need to see a lot, a lot better production from DJ this year. Um, the defense is, you know, the hallmarks of a decent Giants team um, is a is a really, really good defense um, and, uh, and and an average to good quarterback, six, seven out of ten quarterback. We saw that in Phil Simms. We saw that in Eli Manning, uh, our two Super Bowl winning uh, quarterbacks. So as long as DJ looks after the ball and um, doesn't turn over m- more times than he than he uh, th- than he makes touchdowns. Uh, then uh, we'll we'll hopefully be making progress. So fingers crossed. And fingers crossed, we do beat the Cowboys. But it'll be a big, uh, a big, big task.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So that is episode sixty-seven, lads, and it is time to close the show in uh, with the same way we do every other weekly episode and that is what we are doing with our weekends and it will no doubt link in nicely so i do want what your actual plans are for the weekend and then give us the more in depth what your plans are for six o'clock sunday what's the plan what's for tea if it's a takeaway what you're bringing in because we know that week one for us group of lads it is one of the best sundays of the year and one of the most exciting times of the year as well so aggie come to you first mate as you mentioned at the start of the show Potentially a new job and a new role starting this weekend. So why don't you tell our viewers, our listeners, a little bit about what you've got going on outside of Loaded Sport.
2: Yes, mate. Um, Thursday, I am doing a sound check and providing all goes well there. I will be doing commentary for either the Premier League uh, Cup games. It could be the World Cup international tournaments as well for um, the MLS and Saudi Arabia. So I'll be providing uh, fo- football commentary for Flash Score. All being well moving forward for this season, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and of course, that'll be what I'll be doing Saturday if the uh, the sound check goes well. And then, of course, on Sunday, uh, preparation I think it all builds up, doesn't it? I'll probably be sleeping throughout the majority of the day just to bring six o'clock around quicker. Um, I'll be ordering from Papa John's, it was something that I was advised when I first watched Red Zone, and it's become a tradition for me. I'll be ordering myself a pepperoni pizza, um, some. I think, it, is it, is it the, the tater tots, is that right? With the with the cheese and the bacon as well? Yeah. Uh, yeah be ordering yeah. that around about quarter past five to make sure it gets just in time for uh, when Scott Hansen says those uh, infamous words, of course, that seven hours commercial free football gets underway. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait for that. Look forward to it. Bigger than when it on TV, but it means I can uh, fully enjoy red zone for the uh, the seven hours as well. And I'll probably be up till about four o'clock watching the late game. And just like I'm going to be doing on Thursday, staying up for the Chief Lions. So I'm a sucker for it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You are, mate. But uh, hopefully once you've got confirmation that you'll be starting at Fast Goal, we have got the contract signing photo ready. So we'll get that released across social media. And we'll, of course, share and promote the games that you are commentating on moving mm-hmm. forward, mate. Looking forward to it. It's a great opportunity for you, mate. You should be excited because you've been working hard to get to this point. Um, So, yeah, good luck, mate, once, that's, uh, once that kicks in. Kempy. You've already mentioned you've got Monday off purely for watching the game, so talk us through your weekend, talk us through your plans for Sunday evening that will be Giants free, and then uh, your plans for Monday, which no doubt will involve quite a bit of sleep to start the day.
1: Mm, well, this is the debate I have with the uh, few NFL fans, to be fair. I will uh, never, ever watch Red Zone if the Giants are on at six o'clock. Uh, unfortunately enough for me this week, they are, like I say, they are on the uh, on the the late game, prime time game on Sunday, Sunday night or early Monday morning for us. And like I say, I've got the weekend off. Saturday morning, I'll be playing some golf, not played in a couple of weeks, so looking forward to getting back out there. Um, Saturday afternoon, I'm not sure what we've got planned. To be fair, but I'm sure the old ball and chain will sort something out for me. Uh, and then, as we mentioned, Sunday will be early, and it will be uh, fucking ready to go. Six o'clock, I'll be sat down um and then for the early monday morning for when i'm watching the giants against the cowboys um i'm going to prepare some chicken wings i think as well um and get that uh, get that down big guzzle hole. so uh, yeah looking forward to that like that
3: what's uh, what's the uh, marinade for the wings if you go Not down Not sure yeah
1: not quite decided yet. I'll uh, I'll make game game day decision. It's a there's a little queue next to my uh the my, my wing uh, topping choice. So uh, we'll go from there. But yeah, I'm sure I'll drop a picture in the chat, and you'll all be able to see. But looking forward to it.
3: Yeah, can't wait for that one, Sam. Green Bay Bears big game one in the past that you've got um, you've got together with Tina to watch. Any plans for that, mate? Obviously, of course. What else have you got planned this upcoming weekend?
0: No, no plans for the game. I'll be uh, I'll be watching that on my uh, on my own. Well, I'll probably with Katie. Actually, she'll probably be in bed by the time half nine it starts. But yeah, Saturday uh, we are going to a bit of a fun day at the at the Redline Pub in Shirland. Uh There's going to be bands on all day. The Rogue Embers are playing um, early on. So at Chris Jordan's band, um, and yeah, they've got got uh, all different kinds of activities on. So that'll be my Saturday. Um, Sunday, obviously, my little routine is every year I have to order myself a pizza on week one for the NFL. So I'll get settled in for red zone. Same uh, same logic as Kemp. If the Packers are on at six, never watch red zone. I'll always pick the Packers over the red zone. But I've got the best of both worlds this uh, this time round, which means I can watch the uh, seven hours of commercial free football, get it all kicked off, get going. And then at half nine, I can chill out after the, uh, the early games have done and uh, watch a full game of Green Bay against the Bears. It's a fantastic weekend. Cannot
3: wait for week one. Absolutely, mate. And um, I'll be—I'll I'll apologize because I didn't hear any of your plans because, very much like yourself, my headset decided to die just as you started talking there. So uh, missed all that as I was scrambling to save it. Um, yeah, I can't wait either, lad, Six o'clock red zone. I, I like it when Patriots aren't on at six because I ain't got to get shit for watching red zone while they're on. So I'm—I'm uh, I'm going to London on Saturday. Um, going to to watch a show. So stop over and then. Hopefully not be too drunk or too tired to uh, get a, a a decent time back, so I can get rested up, ready for six o'clock. But yeah, like you said, Sam, it's week one, one of the one of the best Sundays of the year. Can't wait. Usual routine. No more uh, no more restless nights on a Sunday evening. Thinking, oh, if NFL was on, I'd be able to settle a bit quicker and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, we're back. And yes, Kemp, that is one of the best 52 Sundays of the year, mate. Um, I've got it in a ranking. It's around, it's around about seventh, I think, on, on the list of the best Sundays of the year.
1: I thought the gimmick was that they were all the best, like a school <laughs> sports day.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe so. If NFL's involved, then it's a great day either way, wherever you put it. But uh, that's it for episode 67, lads. We'll be back next week, episode 68, to talk through what happened during the international break, what happened in the latest in the combat world, and of course, the highlights, and maybe the lowlights, depending on what happens from week one of the NFL, as well as what is coming up with the return of domestic football and, of course, return of F1 and uh, NFL Sorry, back in full force. Have a good one, lads.